It's Charlie, and you're listening to the Encouragers United Podcast. Do you find yourself discouraged, critical, negative, and short-tempered these days? Are you dissatisfied with your life? I think we all have felt this. Since March of 2020, we've been facing a health pandemic caused by the COVID-19 virus. This pandemic has wrecked havoc with our lives. But another more subtle and hidden virus is raging alongside the coronavirus. Many are suffering through a pandemic of discontent. We're frustrated, we're angry, we're bitter, we're anxious. We have all host of other negative emotions that are wrecking havoc with our families, our churches, and our workplaces. The following is a rebroadcast of a sermon that I was able to deliver recently where I discuss Philippians 4, a letter that the Apostle Paul writes from prison. There are three distinct keys to learning to be content no matter what our circumstances are. We must find and concentrate on the positive. We must find a way to give sacrificially to others around us. And we must remember this secret that for those of us who are Christians, Christ lives inside us and he gives us the strength to do all things. I hope you're encouraged today on the Encouragers United Podcast. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, remember, Paul is writing from prison. He's incarcerated. He can't go where he wants to go. He can't do what, what, you know, what, he, what he wants to do. He, he, he can't even choose what he wants to eat or, or how, he, you know, how, he, can, how he, he could spend his time. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> We've been through an unprecedented eight, nine-month period here in our lives unprecedented in my life in not being able to do what we want to do, not being able to go where we want to go, perhaps. But I think this is such a, a great and timely message as we end. The themes that we've come out, you know, a, a lot of this has caused discontent in a lot of people, right? And so, you know, as you see here, I've titled this message, A Pandemic of Discontent. There's a lot of themes in the book of, of Philippians, right? If you remember, we obviously talk about joy and rejoicing and gladness, and trusting God. It, it, there's an emphasis at times on how we think, and, and what we're thinking, and, and, and how that affects what we do. There's, a, there's an emphasis on unity uh, when there's conflict. We need to be together. The gospel ha has come through, the story of Jesus's love and his sacrifice for us. Obviously, today, we want to talk about contentment, and what it means to be content. You know, contentment in a Christian context can be kind of defined like this. It is a inward, quiet spirit that joyfully submits to God's providence and control. How about this guy? I'm kind of a dog person. I apologize. But uh, is this not the picture of contentment? I just want to snuggle up with him on these chilly evenings or mornings, right? It's an inward, quiet, joyful acceptance of God's control and his providence, his leading in my life. It's for me to accept that refining fire that Heather has talked about. And we're all going through it right now. But if I flip that around and I was to take that definition and just reverse it in the dictionary of Charles Grimes, 
Discontent would then represent an outward, vocal, unhappy rejection of God's promise, uh, his providence and his control. And I apologize to all you cat people. How about that face? That's the discontent that we sometimes feel in the frustration of what we're facing. And sometimes we do throw our hands up or our fists and say, why God, why? Why am I going through this? Why didn't this work out? And I reject your providence. I reject the plan that you have for me. And what I'm here to submit to you today is that we can actually learn to fight that temptation, that we can learn to be content in whatever our circumstances might be. You see, Paul, like many, had learned to be content. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. I want to share with you the results of a recent study. Uh, The Pew Research Group actually did a study. uh, They did a, a survey of 27 different democracies all around the country all around the world, rather. Actually, our country was one of those 27. And 51% of the people who responded to this survey would self-report themselves to be discontent. They're frustrated. They're unhappy. They're dissatisfied with not only their own life circumstances, but in this particular study, they're primarily disgruntled and discontent with their government. That was in April of 2019. You think those numbers have changed since then? We are facing a pandemic not just a physical pandemic of a virus that's very dangerous, but it's a pandemic of discontent, a pandemic of being disrespectful and not understanding nor accepting God's leadership in our life. It's a, it's a virus that is a pandemic, right? You don't want to give you a chance before we get into the passage to rate yourself. Why don't you just consider these three questions? And a lot of time in education, we let you review yourself. And I want you to rate yourself here on a score of one to five in the following questions. Here we go. Are you ready? One meaning very low. Like this this statement is not very true of me. A five is very high, meaning, oh boy, that's really, that describes me a lot, right? So give yourself a score. Am I unforgiving and bitter about things that have happened to me in my past? Am I bitter? Am I indignant? Am I unforgiving of things in my past? Give yourself a rating, one through five. Number two, I grumble and I complain about the present. I grumble and complain about my present situation. Give yourself a rating, one through five. And then finally, I'm anxious and I find myself worrying about the future. Give yourself a rating, one through five. And be honest with yourself. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and to convict you If you are showing these symptoms of discontent, unforgiveness, and bitterness, complaining and grumbling, or anxiousness and worrying. Now add up your three scores, right? Very simple research here for uh, our, our scientific analysis this morning. If you scored six points or less, I would say you're doing pretty well. You've got a pretty good handle on being content with your situation. You don't struggle quite as much as others might. If you've scored between 7 and 11 points, which might be a lot of us actually, you are struggling at times with the balance and our perspectives, right? I believe that if you have 12 points or higher on this scale, then I might just have the message for you this morning, right? You're struggling being discontent in not just your past or your present or your future, but maybe all three. And that's a sad and it's a hard place to be. And many of you might find yourself there. You see, Satan's playbook in our life has not really changed. Satan, oh so long ago, came to, to Eve in the form of a serpent, right? And in the garden, he tempts her 
to look upon that one thing that she couldn't have, and she couldn't stop thinking about it. And she became discontent in what God had, had, had planned for her and her husband, Adam. And she made a decision in that discontent that changed not only her life and her husband's life, but all of creation became separated from God when she made that choice of what I would submit to you is out of discontent. And you know, Satan keeps up the, the business when Jesus comes onto the scene because right before Jesus starts his ministry, Satan tempts him. And he tempts him with questions about his position and about his purpose and what his mission was. He was tempting him to become discontent in his current situation. Oh, well, if you're hungry, why don't you just change these rocks into bread? Of course, if you're the son of God, you can do that. And Jesus expertly and masterfully expresses his contentness in God's plan for his life and says, oh, no, we don't live by bread alone. I shall never test my God. Get thee behind me, Satan. You see, so we're in good company if we're being tempted to be discontent. We must see, however, that discontentedness questions God's wisdom, his plan, and his goodness, and his power. I might submit to you today in the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you that discontentedness is actually a sin. And we need to repent of that sin. Because we might ask ourselves, can we learn to be content? Well, I want you to read with me. Let's start in the middle of this section of the, of the chapter. Chapter 4, verse 11. Let's start there. And I'll read from the ESV version. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Let's stop there. 11 and 12 mentions the word learned twice. And so I would submit to you, absolutely, we can learn how to be content. Learn how to be content. And I believe Paul outlines three key steps that we need to remember and implement into our daily lives to begin to learn contentment in the situation. Not complacency, not laziness, not apathy, but contentness. This inward, quiet, joyful acceptance of what God has for us. Let's start. In verse 8, we start to see the first step, the first discipline. Let's read it together. In verse 8, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We need to see the positives in life. We need to think about the good things. And it's so, so hard to do. You know, I used to lead a group of people uh, at my previous work. And I often thought, you know, it's so easy to catch people doing something wrong, isn't it? But what if I was to start to catch people doing what's right? And I would start to commend them when they did something that was correct and good. And you know what? That thinking starts to create momentum towards doing good things. People want to be recognized for what they did that was correct. Martin Luther once said this, and he lived his life by trying to put the best construction on life. Put the best construction on it. You think about that word. And this means choosing to evaluate our neighbor's actions, our friend's deeds, his words, and generally the whole world around us 
in as positive a light as we possibly can. It's such a challenge. But Martin Luther learned that he could put the best construction on a situation and it would affect the way he would communicate it to others. You see, thinking about this, that this is a huge challenge, the daily challenge for us. The next time you're in a conversation, you're facing perhaps a situation, how will you describe that situation? Will you stop and ask yourself how I might put the best construction on this situation? I could look to the good, those things that are true and pure and trustworthy and noble first. How might that affect the perception of the people that you're talking to? How might a more positive perspective affect the way that person sees the situation? See, the opposite of that would be kind of like gossip and slander, right? Gossip and slander, it's an awful sin. You see, slandering or gossiping paints someone in or something in a poor light in the most negative way for any plethora of ugly reasons like jealousy or envy or just simple hatred. And if you think about it, gossip and slander is probably rooted in discontentedness, especially in conflict, right? In conflict, we always want to jostle the situation to make ourselves look better. We want to put the worst construction upon someone else or some other concept. Boy, haven't we come through a season of time where that was going on, a season of discontentedness. And I believe people in leadership may play on other people's discontentedness to make them make choices that they would normally not make. Does that sound familiar? It's a page out of our enemy's playbook. Don't cons- We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Consume, don't be consumed by that discontent and make you, you see, I, I remember a childhood illustration I was given, and I've used it with people and my kids, and, and they'll just laugh. When we're in a conflict, we have a choice. We have two buckets, one in each hand. We have a bucket of water, or we have a bucket of gasoline. And, and which would we throw onto this fiery conflict? Which will we throw? We have the choice to see people and situations in the most and best possible light by finding the good. Oh, but Charlie, you don't have a clue what I've been through. You don't know what my past is. You don't know what my, my present is daily, daily, daily. You don't know what kind of anxious and worrisome future I'm looking at. And you know, you're right. I don't know. But I think Paul did. <laughs> How about this? When we study Paul's life, he's a classic example of someone who had every right to be discontented. Do we know and realize what he has gone through He started out as a Hebrew of Hebrews. According to the law, he was perfect in every way. A Pharisee. And Jesus got a hold of his life, got a hold of his heart, redeemed him by his grace and changed his perspective, right? And said, Paul, Paul, you will become my apostle to preach to the Gentiles, to go into all the areas of the the world where no one even knew about Jesus yet. And what did he face An easy, smooth, paved road of it? In no way. Hardship after hardship, beatings, whippings, shipwrecks, hunger, nakedness. And he says here that we should think about the positives, writing to us from prison. Let's move on to a second aspect of learning to become more content. We find it, and I'll pick it up here in verse 14. Follow along with me. 
Yet it was kind of you, the Philippians, to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. You see, I believe the second thought, the second discipline that Paul is teaching us here to develop and learn how to be content is to give. It's to give sacrificially. The Philippians were some of the first believers to, to, to join Paul in the mission, the partnership of the gospel. They were his first adopters, his first partners in the mission that Jesus had given him, partnering and giving. It gets us out of ourselves. It gets us out of our situation to impact someone else's situation. Giving. The Philippian example should lead us to invest in something other than ourselves. I believe this will lead us to contentment. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Oh, Charlie, I'm too poor to give. I might question you on that. I might question you on that. Let's continue reading in 17. 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I want you to look about, think about that statement. I'll read it again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What he's saying here is that I love that you gave to me. I love the gift, but, but that's not what I'm excited about. What I'm excited about is that it's to your credit in God's kingdom that you gave. You hear it? That's what he's saying. Read in 18. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He just connected the dots for us to give. And you know what? This church, Dayspring Christian Fellowship, since day one, 36 years ago this month in 1984, was founded on the principle of supporting missions and supporting those that are, that are outside, doing what God has called them to do. Stansbury, Agora, Lighthouse, Camp Luz, Global Disciples, Rahab, and many, many others have been blessed by your generosity, our generosity, and those folks, I think if we got the chance to talk to them, would say, oh, we love your gift, but we are so excited in the blessing that we know God is going to give you because you gave. Oh, friend, if you have not made the commitment to give sacrificially, of course, your money, the, the wealth that God has blessed us with, to give to a cause that you know God is working in. Give sacrificially and test and see that the Lord is good. Read verse 19 with me. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. Is that not how we could attain contentment? You want security? How about the supply of God? <laughs> Paul states here that the Philippians gave to him and he trusts that God will reward them and prepare them and supply them with everything that they need. Give. What more could you ask for? You see, the image here is one that we've used a lot in that I hold everything that I have with an open hand. Thus, God can take out what he wants. I give but I can also receive with these open hands. Many times our posture of worship is just like this. Lord, take and give. 
as you see fit. It's a picture of quiet, inward, joyful acceptance. Oh, Charlie, I don't know. You're challenging me. I, 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 you don't know what I'm facing. Yeah, you, I, I know. But how about the teenager Mary and her betrothed husband Joseph? When an angel comes and says, you're going to bear a son. And she says, so be it, Lord. As you have said, so it be. So be. How about Daniel sitting in the dark in the lion's den? Lord, I've been faithful. I trust you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking hand-tied, bound into a, a high, fiery furnace. I trust you, God. We read of the fight that Job went through in the book of Job. He lost. He lost so much. But at the end of that, he comes to his, himself and says, You give and you take away, Lord. But still my heart will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And story after story after story of these great saints of the history of our faith have come to the end of themselves. They've given sacrificially. They've looked to the positive and they've known the secret. Our daily challenge is to give where we see God working. Could you do that? I challenge you today. Where is God working? Where can I contribute? Where can I get outside of myself and to give? Because you've got a unique contribution and God would love to use it. That beautiful picture of contentment, inward, quiet, joyful, holding what we have loosely. I want to reveal to you point number three, the final secret that I believe Paul is, is teaching us, the secret of being content. Let's read 11 and 12 again. But we're going to tack on 13 at the end of this now. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Say it with me, everybody. I can do all things through Christ, through Him who strengthens me. You know, this might be us stumbling into a realization that we may have used this verse out of context in the past, right? This might be one of the most misquoted, misunderstood passages that I know of, written on my coffee mug or cross-stitched into my pillow. It's not our permission slip to assume that I'm going to step up to the home plate and hit a home run every time because Jesus is with me. No, on the contrary, it is saying the secret to being content is Jesus himself inside us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then he supersedes, he transcends our circumstances. And knowing him is our greatest joy, Christ in us. And his spirit will strengthen us to do whatever it is that we are faced with whatever we are called to do, whether in need, whether in plenty, whether in sickness and in health, good and bad, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's a pretty simple ending for our message today, right? If you find yourself in need, if you find yourself discontented, grumbling and, and bitter about your past, complaining and, and, and frustrated with your present and anxious and worrying about your future, look to the positives. Give sacrificially beyond yourself. And remember the secret that Christ is in you and he is the hope of glory. You know, Satan's playbook really hasn't changed, has it? Unfortunately, you know why? Because I'm afraid it's working. 
and this pandemic of discontent, it stops with us because I believe our pandemic of discontent demands a daily vaccination, a daily vaccination to look to the good, to give to others freely, to remember the secret. Guys, come on up. I certainly don't preach to you today because I've got this all figured out. To accept that daily vaccination against the virus and the pandemic of discontent. We can learn to be content, but it is not in me, yet it is Christ in me. That God discontent stops with me, and it starts this afternoon and into tomorrow and my week this week. I will look to the good, I will give, and I will remember the secret. I will remember the secret. I'm Charlie Grimes, ex-athletic coach and exercise physiologist, turned pastor, podcaster, and author. It wasn't all that long ago that I lacked the courage, the money, and the time to truly step into my God-given gifts, to encourage, teach, and lead people to a deeper and more fulfilling life. After many failed attempts and lessons learned, I now enjoy the work of coming alongside people, hearing their stories, and helping them to start where they are, take what they have, and do what they can. This work used to only be a daydream for me. I created the Encouragers United podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step teaching through both meeting new people and unpacking and the valuable lessons found in the Bible. If you're an ambitious leader, teacher, pastor, coach, or parent who's looking to make a positive impact in the lives of those around you, you're in the right place. Let's get this thing started.